2: I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike, and had a couple of roster moves on the back end of the roster. The Lakers let both DeMoy Hodge and Alex Fudge go out of their two-way contracts. Good luck to both of them. DeMoy, especially, I'd love to see with a organized five-out team that plays off of their five that could really use his speed. I definitely think he's got a, a future, but good luck to those guys. Lakers signed Dylan Windler and Skyler Mays to two-way contracts. I think that this provides them with two guys that can at least – fill in the gaps when the Lakers are shorthanded, Mike. It has a domino effect on Jalen hood Shafino, who played in the G League game last night that you were the play-by-play announcer on. And so just wanted to discuss real quick, Mike, a couple of roster moves that I think have some value in this period, especially with Gabe Vincent out. But curious your
3: thoughts and what you know on those. Yeah, I think the biggest reason that the Lakers made these moves was to get a couple of guys on the two ways that have a little bit more... NBA ready uh, to them and that's I think that the Lakers still really liked Fudge and Hodge and and saw some potential in the future but you know you're you're getting Wendler who's 27 and has you know shown that he can play and He's got a lot of skills. Uh, so the rebounding thing stood out because he had 33 re- rebounds, to set a G League record um, as a six seven wing, which was uh, mind blowing in some ways. But he's a shooter, uh, and he can he can pass the ball a little bit. He's just like a good player. He, he's just kind of a good, solid all around player. You could throw him onto the court, and and figure that he could make his way um, in the NBA to a different level than what Fudge and Hodge could do. And that can have some value, especially uh, if injuries stack up, things like that. Um, and then Mays, you know, we I've seen him play in person twice uh, now up in Portland and then uh, down here. And uh, he's just he's more ready to play now um, than either of the aforementioned guys that were waived. And then also, you know, Jalen Huchofino, I think at this point, just needs to get some minutes. And that's not going to happen at the NBA level. It can happen for the South Bay Lakers, but... Due to the roster, um, if you're not getting the two-way guys really on the court much, and again, that's Fudge and Hodge, then Hodgefino sort of has to be there in case somebody gets in foul trouble. And he even, you know, was put into that situation in the past couple of weeks. And you know, I, he's just at a point where he, you wouldn't expect him to be super NBA ready there um, in at, at this stage of his rookie year. So uh, he's going to, I think, play more with the South Bay Lakers. And I kind of liked what I saw. Uh, I was very close to the action. I was sitting core side, as you mentioned, Pete, calling the game with A.C. Green and Huchofino's Kind of level of physicality and size, I think, it, just that alone, the difference between the G League and the NBA, you could just see him using his body uh, and getting to the getting into the paint. And instead of having a 6 six eleven shot blocker come over um, and you know mash it into the window, he he was able to fend off defenders uh, and finish a couple of times, which was nice to see. He got to the free throw line a bunch and made all of his free throws. He hit a three in the corner. So like he was making his typical good reads and screen roll action with Colin Castleton, who, by the way, was great. Um, Castleton had like 20 and 16 with four blocks. So it was it's that's the kind of thing I think Darius that is important to continue to let JHS get these reps uh, figure out exactly what he's going to be as an NBA player. And since he's not going to do that with the Lakers, I, I thought that was a really smart move.
1: Even if the only benefit of this is JHS is somewhere playing, a lot, this is great for the Lakers. He's not going to play a lot for the Lakers, A, because he's not ready to play for the Lakers. But B, even when he does play for the Lakers, it's not in the role in which his long term projection looks to be in the NBA. He's an on ball player, he's a screen and roll player. It's what he did in college. And while you would want him to refine all of the off-ball stuff. You're talking about making a corner three or being like a weak side dive guy or other rounding out his game in a real way. That's not why you drafted him. You already see it in the minutes that he plays with the big club. The last game that he played, I think those were his first minutes all season playing with LeBron and AD both on the court. And he basically went and stood in the corner. It's like, that's not why they drafted this kid 17th overall. He's an on-ball guard. And he's the type of on-ball guard that the Lakers, honestly, I don't think they've really drafted a guard like this, Pete, since like Nick Van Exel as like a guy who is like, hey, we expect you to be able to run the show. Almost every other guard that they've drafted as a point guard has been sort of this off-ball worker, like, oh, you're a point guard size, but you're not really a point guard. I'm. Anxious to see him get minutes and and grow and just be able to make mistakes and not be like every possession feels like I have to do the right thing. I have to do the right thing because, Pete, you you know, like that's no environment for a young player. It doesn't allow him to spread his wings.
2: Yeah, I'm glad to see him get minutes. There's no substitute for that experience the on-ball nature of his game is why I had next to little, or I had next to no expectations of him contributing this season because he is very much uh, an on-ball player in which there are like five or six guys ahead of him in line to get the ball on the big club, in which those minutes with LeBron and AD are an example. And so getting him those reps at that level are going to be important. I'm a little skeptical about where that that road leads, but I, he's got great size. I think he's defensively ahead of where he is on the offensive end but there's no substitute for reps and that's something that as an on-ball style of player that gonna really need that that by the same token Mike with the big club you do need guys that are going to be able to step in one of the things in this slide that's been temporarily at least halted by the win against the Clippers one of the things that People aren't trying to hear during that period of time. But to me, when you get to the third string on any team of any position, you start to have some real weaknesses. So having Gabe out and then having D'Lo out on top of that dips us below, I think, that Mendoza line that we talk about quite a bit of ball handling, you know, ball handlers. And then if Austin is starting alongside LeBron, we were lamenting a possession against Miami where Christian Wood had the ball in the backcourt, but he sort of had the ball and he had two two guys pursuing him and no guard had the instinct to come help out your big man. And it ended up in a turnover just things like that that you take for granted if you have sort of a conventional roster out there. If you dip below that – you start to have problems that you don't normally get if you have the guys that you need in those positions, Mike. And so guys like Maze, Maze yeah. is, I, is a guy that I mentioned even on this pod when we played them was uh, as a guy who stood out to me. He's sort of like, what if Kyle Anderson's slow-mo were a foot shorter or 10 inches shorter? That's kind of his game, but very crafty, good offensive player, small, not a great athlete, but he can kind of keep things organized and, and flowing in a way that Jalen at his age just can't.
3: Yeah, I guess I think a little more Andre Miller uh, then in that context uh you know Kyle Anderson is is that just additional level slow that he can be because he's 6'9, you know, I think that's sure. part of why he moves that way because he can just take that extra rhythm uh that extra beat to to survey the floor because he can still pass over it but I'm here's the thing with Maze, like uh, I'm not, he's not going to be like part of the regular rotation, no. you know, it. It says okay, it's not so much that, but it's, it's more of a, Hey, can somebody go in and just and keep the offense running Um, and get guys looks and move the ball on. He's not a particularly good shooter uh, from three or anything, but you know, he's, I think he can be serviceable in that aspect, but it does get me to the thinking of as, as we move forward with the roster and as we look for that that final roster spot and like the, the Lakers t- traditionally keep open um, whether for a trade or whether for adding a buyout guy or whatever it is i was looking at the last couple of games and they're they're just really suffering from lack of dribble penetration and it's it's something yes. that we didn't discuss as being a part of what we're going to talk about in this show but just thinking about as that's a thing that's not super easy to find necessarily in a player that can still do other things uh it, it, you know and the, the, like Skyler Mays was out there but that's that's not one of his skill set I don't know that there's a player though that's better than Skyler Mills who just does that that isn't going to kill you in a lot of other ways so I, I just want to throw that into the equation as a we're thinking about the roster and and what they don't have right now and that's that to me is part of what has the offense kind of stuck in the mud is it, it's just a lot of teams dropping off and then on, on a given night, if there's, the ball is going in and D'Angelo Russell scores 11 points in a couple minutes on jumpers, great. But you know who's getting to the rim outside of LeBron, especially if they're trapping AD? Yeah, no one is.
1: It's one of the reasons why we talked about the value of D'Lo's passing and him being a penetrator through passing rather than a penetrator off of the dribble. Um, D'Lo has the court vision to reward guys on cuts, like one of the plays that happens like game after game when they've both been available is that weak side cut that Rui makes along the baseline when D'Lo is on the left wing and Rui is in the right corner and Rui has this knack of like sneaking in along the baseline and D'Lo rewards him with the cut and Rui's gotten a bunch of finishes around the basket that way and finding a player who can create off of the dribble it's hard. The Lakers lost a couple of those guys last season. One was Russ, who they traded, which was great. They got a bunch of skill guys out of that. But they also lost Dennis. And even though they they replaced Dennis with Gabe, Gabe's not going to replace that part of Dennis's game. And and so long-term and big picture, this is a skill that's missing from the teams. Cam can replicate some of that, but he's not a good finisher around the basket. And he's been losing the ball on drives A lot too and it's been turnovers and so I'm intrigued by Mays I know that you're saying Mike that he's not going to be a regular part of the rotation but there are nights where it's just like it would be nice to have another guard out here that does guard things and sometimes there have been too many lineups for example where even when delo has been available where it's just Austin and no other guard out there that's right. Who has any ball handling ability. Like, And if Austin's not on the court with LeBron and he's not on the court with D'Lo and Gabe is still out, you're below that Mendoza line. Part of the game plan now is pressuring Austin in the backcourt and picking him up full court. And one of the things that's happening, too, is like he's then passing the ball off to Max or Prince to bring the ball up. And then they have to run like some sort of Iverson cut to get. Austin back the ball and then the Lakers are initiating their offense Pete with like 15 seconds like on the shot clock and it's it's just another way to disrupt the flow of the game and if you're talking about why the Lakers are in the bottom third of the league on offense that's part of the reasons why it's not the main reason why but all of those little things added up to making you less productive on that side of the ball so I don't expect Mays to come in and play by any means but I like having him available on any given night just in case you need that extra ball handler
3: And I just want to qualify what I said too, is that I, we don't know. This is just from what I, the fact that he's a two way and the fact that I've, I've seen him play a few times. I'm sure most people haven't seen him play a ton. Uh, but. Maybe maybe when next to LeBron and AD, you know, maybe some of his skills a- end up proving that he can be on the court more. We'll see. Like that's for Darvin Ham to figure out. And and there is at least some potential upside. Otherwise, I don't think you do it in the first place. So you know, we shouldn't limit it coming in, Pete. It's just more that typically right from a two way perspective, you're not going to take a rotation player spot. But yeah, they are they are lacking in some of the things that he can do.
2: Let's take a break, come back. And I'd like to talk a little bit about LeBron and AD lineups.
3: Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
2: So guys, one of the narratives of this season that I think are accurate are LeBron is LeBron and AD are both playing great and the Lakers are only 500 or a game below 500. And that is true. But one of the paradoxes within that has been the LeBron and AD lineups have not been that great. In 842 minutes together, LeBron and AD lineups have a net rating of just plus 1.4. And so this is the thing in a Lakers franchise that's had a very transient roster over the last five years. That's the foundation, LeBron and AD lineups. And if you've got both guys on the floor, you've been pretty solid right you're pretty much guaranteed to have productive lineups that is not the case this season and i think part of that is has been sort of the uh musical chairs in the starting lineup and, and searching for things i certainly have thoughts on what works alongside lebron and ad but both guys have played well but they their lineups have not played all that great together what are your thoughts on that
3: i have a lot of thoughts on this right. i it's very, this is very difficult to qualify. So please, uh, <laughs> please interject wherever you can. But I like on it, on the broadcast, a lot of times I have to be the one that's coming in like sort of with a number to try to supplement something. But I really prefer the eye test and I prefer sort of just the feel of the game. And this is the, this is a point where I don't love the numbers and the net ratings and the offensive ratings and the defensive ratings. If you, you almost have to separate the games where you know that LeBron and AD are going into it. And this is the LeBron in year 21. And this is AD who has won a title of what were they trying to get accomplished in that given night? Was it a regular season back to back? Um, What, what did LeBron do the previous week? Was it an in-season tournament game? Was it a game that they circled? Like when AD said, we need to win the game at OKC. Um, Was it a game like the game against Memphis where the Lakers clearly needed a win and the other team just happened to get, even more hot than the the open threes that they got and hit 23 of them. They are LeBron and AD are not at the point where like they're both 25 and they're just standard everyday performance. Although actually AD has kind of been that way uh, this year, but LeBron has not, nor should he be. So I have a little bit of the, of trouble then with just the, with, with kind of the, the sum of their performance on the court together, even though it's of course a fact and it is, it, it is what the rating is. And it's just like, That's the big qualifier that I try to put. And so the question then to me is when those two together, when they're playing together and when they're going to the actions that they're used to, like the screen roll, for example, um, that that certainly works in fourth quarters, uh, is that good enough to beat good teams uh, to me when they're focused? Yes. Uh, But does it need a certain type of supplementation? In this case, just something as simple as playing bigger uh, at the three position and not those small lineups that clearly weren't working as well. Then, yes. So I I have not directly answered the question, Pete, but uh, I, I will now turn to Darius to kind of pull that together, because there are parts of it that I think are are important takeaways. And then there are parts of it that I think are this is what was going to happen, uh, mostly based on LeBron and what his what his energy level is in that given night.
1: This is an important idea that you raise, Mike, because it plays into my point. And so I always like things that help me. I'm a firm believer in supporting your stars we always talk about how stars make role players better but we rarely talk about how role players make stars better and lebron and ad lebron especially but even ad They are at the stages of their careers, or even they have the types of games, Pete, where I think you need to surround them with the right types of role players in order to help bring the best out of them. And I think too often this season, the lineups have skewed in a direction where the onus is on LeBron and AD to carry the role players, and that the role players have not been as well-rounded or have offered All of the things that you want in order to support LeBron and AD. And I think that this speaks to the idea of playing bigger and what sorts of player combinations work around both of those two guys. As part of the game preview that we're going to have up um, for three things for tonight's Raptors game, I'm going to have a little section on Kristen Wood. Wood's been back in the rotation for six games now. And in those six games, he's only had a negative plus minus in one of those six games. The Lakers have lost pretty much all of those games, except for like one or two of them. But Wood's been on the positive and he's been on the positive, mostly playing next to LeBron, but also playing in lineups with LeBron and and AD. And this now Wood's offense has come around. He's played. He's shot the ball really well. And so there are things that go into that. Obviously, Wood's just not out there just standing around being bad and then, oh, look, the lineup still work, even though Christian Wood is bad. He has to play well, too. But in support of LeBron and AD, Pete, like there is this idea of how how do you best support them? And I think throughout the season, there's been a skewing towards let's support them with skill. That doesn't always have a lot of motor. And the skill also hasn't always delivered on the skill part, right? And so, like, if, if you say surround them with shooting and you're like, OK, let's put three of our best shooters out here in D'Lo, Prince and Austin. Well, those lineups actually are a positive on the season but a very small positive, And they haven't actually shot the ball as well as you would like. And so are you getting as much out of those groups as, as you would like? And there's another part of this, Pete, which is the Austin piece. It's just like, if you put Austin next to those two guys, those lineups actually haven't played very well. And what's the deal with that? And then you look at the groups that include Austin that have played well, and there's a formula in there, too. It's like, oh, look, it's another big dude. It's more physicality. It's more defense rather than saying, let's skew smaller and let's play with skill. And so it's like y- you see the formula there, but that formula hasn't been as consistently applied across the full season.
3: So, Pete, th- to try to try and kick this back to you, because it was your original concept. And now I've been kind of waiting to hear how you're going to weigh in on this there. It's not just as simple anymore as LeBron and AD and like when they're out, when they're out there on the floor, like the 2019-20 season, I'm pretty sure almost any group of three that you put with LeBron and AD was pretty good. Uh, it's not, that isn't there anymore. There's a reason for that. I tried to explain that. I think part of it is just situational, uh, based on what their approach is to that game. And if it were a playoff game, then most of the lineups would look better around them because they'd both be at a certain level, but that that's not going to be the case for the rest of the regular season. And therefore there have to be some more defined answers. And, and it sounds like that's part of what you've been thinking about.
2: Very much so. And I think that your point about the context of the individual game and how that plays into the number that it ends up producing at the end is a good one, but also central to the point of where I think this Lakers team both needs to go and why the season's gone the way that it has. When they throw their fastball – like I watched the Clippers-Phoenix game last night and the Clippers beat the crap out of Phoenix. As they've been with just about everybody else, when they play us, we're able to stick with them and we end up getting the win, even though we're playing poorly. And so we've talked a lot about this idea where the Lakers defensive fastball, which is really defined by LeBron's level of defensive engagement and effort and all that. Is Because he's a great defensive player still, especially in a system that has Anthony Davis behind him, because he's so good at reading situations and he can jump a passing lane. He can blitz a guy. He can jump switch out onto Kawhi Leonard and be like, yeah, we're switching this and that's not a mismatch. He could totally guard, you know, hang in that type of scenario. But it's our slower pitches, Mike. Our curveballs and our changeups are getting hit into the upper deck. And those nights where LeBron isn't like that. That that said, though, he's still able to get that 25, 8, and 7 type of production where if you're functional around that, that should still be enough to win a lot of games in the NBA when he isn't quite at that same level. And so in terms of that third – Front court partner for them. What's always worked when we've got five years of sample with this has been a six eight plus dude that is active that also spaces the floor. Now there are two ways to space the floor. We the conventional one of shooting threes, of course, but one thing Vogel would always talk about is the vertical spacing, right? That Dwight, that Javale. Now those lineups, I must say, the conventional type of big. Are even in the 20 season and in, uh, in the 21 season, don't quite have the same level of, of production that your coups type of lineups have that Vando had last year. But it's been that, that mix D of like that third front court player. Can he either be a great lob threat or space the floor while also helping on the boards? That has really been the, the, the through line, but really six, eight guys with athleticism and then some skill around that have been the mix. And when, the guys that have that have hurt that have been the cam type of guys and 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 guys that cannot uh, that do not have that activity on the boards at the three type of spot and don't space the floor.
1: This is like a conversation about like forwards versus wings. And it's like an interesting conversation that like we've never really had yeah. this talk before. Mike loves the big wing and I love the big wing, too. But there's a conventionality to the old school term of being a forward that is super interesting to me as just someone who's been watching the NBA since like the 1980s. And so Mike said that he called a game last night with AC Green. And AC Green was like, he was a forward. This dude played power forward like in the NBA. And he learned how to shoot the 20 footer from the top of the key and from the baseline. And those were shots that reigned for that position in the NBA over the course of, basically like 15 to 20 years like you could market from the early 80s all the way through players like David West and David West was a key contributor on a Warriors team that won the championship just like a handful of years ago and so this is in this is a prototype of player that they don't really make anymore but it still still has value You know me, man. Last year, I was just like, get me a combo forward that can play next to LeBron and AD. Get me a combo forward. Like, I've been screaming this forever, basically. And last year, they got two of them. They got Rui and they got Vando. And let's go to break here because I think those sorts of combo players are super important when projecting how the Lakers are gonna be the best versions
3: of themselves.
2: Just one thing, D, before you continue, I want to give what I think is the coach's perspective on what they value attribute-wise, is Cam's main job is to guard the other team's best guy, and that at the one spot, it's either one of those skill guards where Austin and or, or D'Lo, where you're not asking them really to guard the other team's point guard, or whomever is their main ball handler, you're asking them to guard somebody else, and so from a personnel standpoint, I think the coaches are going for guys who can defend the perimeter really more than than anything else. And that's why the Ruiz and the Woods don't get as much playing time at that spot. Now, I think that's the incorrect decision, but I just wanted to put that out there, D, of that I think is a, the attribute that is being prioritized around LeBron and AD is perimeter defense especially. Sure.
1: I don't disagree and I don't necessarily disagree even that that's the wrong idea. I just think that if you skew too far in in one direction, and if the player who you're saying is going to do these these things, he also has to have a baseline of effectiveness in other parts of the game before the overall product becomes harmful. So, look, one of the reasons why lineups with Austin have not always been been working is because, like, defensively, he gives up some things. De- Well, we'll defensively, he battles there. He's been battling on the backboards. Offensively, you lose some of the ball movement stuff that he was doing more of as like an off ball worker last season because the ask on him has changed to be more of a shot creator this season. And so when a player like Austin, when his role evolves and you need to start to support him in the same way that you need to support LeBron and AD, and that hasn't always happened. So in getting back to this larger point about what we're prioritizing, like sometimes you just have to tell Austin Reeves, look, bro, you're going to go guard this other dude who's actually very good. Tonight, you got Desmond Bain. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to put Cam out there to do those things. I would say, though, that last season they put Vando into that role. Vando was pretty good at that, too. And this year he, Vando has been through a variety of circumstances. He started the year hurt and didn't play for a long time. And then he had to work his way back in, into game shape. Mike mentioned a a pod ago that the last couple of games Vando's looked, looked better physically. I would argue it's been like a week and a half or two weeks that he's basically looked like himself to me. Now maybe that's not the case behind the scenes, but I've seen a guy that's been running around and chasing and making extra effort plays. He's been cutting off of the ball and just looking like a better player. And so I, I'm more of the mind, it's just like let's start to reprioritize the players who likely had a higher position into the pecking order when we were projecting out the way that the season was going to play. And this is where I talk about how we've not always not always gotten back on track from the way that the team had to sort of adjust at the beginning of the year when things were in such disarray from an injury standpoint. And I'd like to see
3: them find their way back to that original path. For sure. As far as Austin goes in thinking about the three man groupings with LeBron and AD, most of those to me, and Pete, I haven't looked directly at the data yet on this, but are including like Russell and Prince, or like more often than not, a smaller type of a group. And in the games where LeBron is is playing the defensive type of game that we have discussed, that is so great, then my guess is that that everything papers over pretty well there, uh, or at least relative to when it's not. And those like some of those games have turned into complete blowouts. And this is again where like the net rating part of it is. Uh, I, I always need want to parse that out individually. But last year. Austin was almost always tethered in the starting lineup uh, with Vanderbilt who, who does, who just raises the floor a certain level on some of the things that he doesn't do. Uh, and, and then when you think about the, the bench groups, like with whether LeBron was in there or not, like look, the team was playing at a certain level defensively for most of that stretch to get to the postseason, And then in the postseason where you were getting a certain, uh, a certain baseline level of LeBron from a floor standpoint. And that, This year, that has not always been the case. And how does that get fixed? Well, that's where part of the solution is coming with Vanderbilt being back and getting more minutes and playing better physically. And Christian Wood now being back in the rotation like that's that's to me going to help all of that. What it doesn't help, though, is the starting lineup uh, that right now that has Reddish and Prince is a smaller group. And on the nights where LeBron isn't bringing it defensively like he did against the Clippers, where he was terrific, especially against Kawhi Leonard, then I, I don't see that group as having a ton of success. Uh, and and so that that can be replaced, I think, just with what Vanderbilt gives you relative to uh, to Reddish on the defensive end and sort of how that activates things a little differently. Because Reddish, even though like he had some good defensive moments, but he's not the same player Vanderbilt is, uh, I don't think, on that end. And that maybe that's the the point that i'm trying to pull out of this is that i don't know that we're going to see things just completely turn around for that starting group until that changes but the rest of the units especially now that vanderbilt and and hopefully once hachimura gets back and we don't know what that is supposed to be um yet it it seems like it's going to be sooner than later then you you have even more size um with hachimura and wood and vanderbilt but can you play the three of them together in that group and then all of a sudden, it's like, well, you're not going to play Max, but but Reddish is still getting X amount of minutes. So you, you you see where I'm going with that?
2: Very much so. Yeah, a lot of things still to to figure out at this point of the season. Um, but as of now, the current starting lineup has a net rating of minus ten point six in seventy two minutes, which is which is the third most minutes of any lineup. Uh, that the Lakers have played so far. With respect to Austin's fit, one thing to throw in there too is that he's not playing with the same role player type of mentality as he did a lot of last year. And I think that particularly with the starters that, and now that's a hard mental journey D to take for a player is to be like, oh, you're going to go into this season as you're going to run a unit. And then we're going to need you to be the role player type of, you know with with other lineups it's a hard mental journey for a player to take within the same game to be one of each of those guys but i would argue that his path to more productive lineups cuz again i brought this up a few pods ago he's easily amongst the regular players has the worst net rating of any of the uh of our players with lebron and ad yeah. and part of that i think is because he's Playing a different brand of basketball. Now, with respect to how Vando impacts that, like, I, I think that certainly helps. But I think that Austin tapping into his own role player abilities, you know, I, th- I think would help those groups quite a bit.
1: 100%. It's an interesting thing, though, Pete, because, like, I've brought this up before, is that the players who are like, oh, I do all of these little things and I also get you 18 points a game, like, those players don't make $12 million a year. Now, Austin may not have made $12 million a year if he was on the open market. He can. Can he do it for 35 minutes a game? I don't think he can do that for 35 minutes a game. Every night. Like, I just don't. I, I don't think he's the caliber of athlete to do that. Like, And that's no offense to him. There's like not a lot of players in the league who can score... 18 points a game on 50, 40, 90 shooting while also being like a stand up defensive player who is like the player that you're describing is basically like Desmond Bain level. And Austin's in that realm for sure. It's just a hard ask. I do agree that Austin needs to tap into that stuff more, but I don't think he's dogging it by any means. No. I just think you need to support Austin in the same way that you support LeBron and support AD, which is basically like surround him with defense and motor. And Yeah, it's the
2: same type of player that that compliments. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's why I'd like to see Vando play more in these groups. It's why like some of the groups that are productive with Austin on the court is like Max Christie next to him, like as one of the guards. When Austin, Max, and AD are on the court, like the Lakers have a plus- four and a half net rating, that's not a big positive net rating. But if you're looking to win the minutes when LeBron is off the court, like those are the sorts of things that you need to do, right?
2: That was a huge problem earlier in the year too. That's probably the group that represents the most amount of growth since the beginning of the season is those AD without LeBron groups. Those have become pretty good and the lebron without ad groups have been very good in and of themselves and so that's why these lebron and ad groups not getting on track yet is paradoxically one of the things we really got to figure out
3: because that's both your starters and your closers mike for sure the last the last point i want to make about austin is i think that it's a he's being asked to do a lot of sort of different things Uh, And if you're like running unit, but also sometimes LeBron will just want him to take the ball and go create a shot. But then in the next possession, maybe if LeBron's doing it, then he's got to spot up. But then, but if LeBron's doing it more, then actually now we need the Austin that was just thinking about defense first. So I think that's been part of the struggle uh, in this, which is essentially year two, you know, in some ways. And I, I, like I he Darius made the point which I agree with was like he's trying I think which is what like some players don't uh, don't compete in the same way maybe but how is he supposed to allocate those resources and I can also acknowledge while kind of seeming like I'm defending him here that uh, that he isn't doing some of those role player things as well uh, and that's clearly showing up right in the numbers so it's a I, I, in fact, there's a part of me that wants to just discuss this with Austin uh, because it's a, sure. a and see what and and Darvin Ham right and to an extent LeBron and have it become a little bit more clear you know what that the opportune balance is between a player that ha, like has a lot to offer um, but also has a couple of weaknesses and so it's it's not always easy to just, uh, just to go about that way. Pete, do you
1: remember those old like? evolution posters that you might have had like in an elementary school classroom like during our like during our era right when it's a maybe like, oh, tor- like like towards the end it's like there's Cro-Magnon and then there's the next one and there's the next one and then suddenly it's just like oh the fully upright walking human with the and everything is perfect right and so Austin I feel like We talked about this the other day, but he had been on a podcast recently. I think it was JJ Raddick's pod where he talked about like when he came into the league and wanted to make the Lakers roster, it was like all defense, all of the time. This is how I'm going to make the team. And this is how I'm going, going to play over time. It's like he has gotten more opportunity to like have the ball in his hands. And we used to lament this when it was just like, Austin, like, what are you doing, bro? You got to shoot the ball. You're passing up wide open shots. And like to think that that was literally just a season and a half ago that we were talking about that with him or even just last season early in the year. And now it's like the ask on him and what has been projected onto him as a role is that evolution. And He's gone from this part where it's like there's this sweet spot that's probably like a couple of levels back in his evolution as an offensive player where it's just like, oh, no, wait, you've gone a little bit too far in this because now you're skewing even more towards offense where there's a couple of steps back. You would have been doing more of the like little things, drawing charges, taking all of these hits. But those things are super taxing. And there's a reason why even like LeBron, or there's a lot of superstars who don't do that stuff on a night to night basis. And I'm not comparing Austin to like Luka Doncic or Trey Young or any of these guys who have this super outsized role, but. It's like he is being groomed in a similar path to be like, hey, go run an offense or be a top shot
3: creator for these lineups, and it's a tricky ask. That's part of how he lost his legs in the playoff series too, because he was still doing all of that like role player defense, crazy taking charge. But then he started to have more of the offense, and it's 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 uh, it's hard to do both. But that's also what uh, what you're paid to do. So like he's he's got to keep figuring that out.
2: He's capable of it, and that's part of being a good team, right? Is being able to tap into the different yeah. elements of of your game, and so. I think that the fact that his net rating and the numbers have swung as much as they have, it's not entirely on, on him, but I think it's reflective of the kind of guy that we need, especially with the LeBron and AD groups. So got to wrap up here. Got a game tonight against two quick point guards. This is one of the things I will be really looking at tonight is how can we keep up with Quickly and Dennis? Uh, we will be back tomorrow to discuss. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.
1: The has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front. Broken up by Worthy. Kip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. And Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next the winner. It. It's on the Bryant, 48
0: points, 16 rebounds. Back with his eighth block
3: There's, There's the move. Two, one, Unbelievable.
2: One, It's over. And shot popping out of five.
3: Bryant, yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? Two point one seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic.